Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of the Texas Time Capsule podcast. Again, here with Drew Armendinger and Ben Sawicki. Guess what, guys? Good news. Today, we are actually not going to be discussing a major human disaster. (laughs) Thank God. Finally. As opposed to the previous two episodes. But we are going to discuss a rather odd event that occurred in Central Texas. I think Mm -hmm. it'll really pique some curiosity. So it'll be interesting to hear the reactions to this episode. Episode 4, The Communist Takeover in Central Texas. Let's open up the Texas time capsule for this episode. Number one, remember the Alamo. Number two, scuba diving. Number three, Randall's Grocery Store. Now, when those items are mentioned in the episode today, we actually have a new feature. We're going to put in a sound effect to denote that the, that was one of the... There you go. That was Love one of the... Sound I- effects. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Production value, baby. That's right. Yeah. So what are we talking about today, Stephen? Well, we're all drinking vodka today. And we're drinking vodka out of respect for the fact that this episode is going to be about events that happened in the during the Cold War during period. The Cold War, okay. And most people don't think about Texas in terms of Cold War events. But there were actually several events that did take place in Texas that had a profound impact. So the vodka that I'm drinking is Tito's vodka. And as you know, Drew, Tito's distilled in Austin, right Texas. In Austin, yeah. And the event we're going to talk about today, Ben, occurred an hour north of Austin in Lampasas, Texas. Lampasas, okay. That's interesting. The The geography and the, the, the time period that we're talking about here is post-World War II, Cold War, post-World War II, and we've got, it's the United States on one front and the Russians on the other. And the mood of the country right now, Ben, it's, there's a, it's kind of an odd time because there's this ideology that's mm-hmm. taken over, this, this battle of ideologies. Fear. Mm-hmm. There's a lot right. of fear from the... And fear. The, the physical fighting is over, but we're still dealing with a, a new kind of conflict. Not still, it's a new kind of conflict. It's a psychological stress that's taking place, and it's causing really strange things to happen and new things to happen, right? So what's the strange thing that's going to happen in Land Passes? So you've got to think about how, how this uh, the fear is affecting the... Government and the people. What happened in Lampasas is a really incredible thing. There was an operation. It's called Operation Longhorn. And what basically happened was the military put together a a kind of a... Maneuver? Yeah, yeah, a maneuver in that they simulated a takeover of a small town in the United States. This happened to be in Lampasas. And the reason they chose Lampasas is it was situated close to Austin and uh, San Angelo, which has a, an Air Force base there. So this this area was more or less accessible geographically to um, 
you know, a military operation. So they're going to actually simulate a Texas town being mm-hmm. taken over by communists. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, that that definitely is an indicator of the ideology ideology at the time. Uh-huh. If, if we're going to that length, right, right. right. So, and it was a, a very the numbers are very impressive. What was it? Over a hundred thousand troops were involved, and the idea was to take over. American citizens, right? So, Can you imagine that? It's a complete takeover of a town is what you're mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. Just to give you an idea of how large scale this operation is, there were 73,000 American troops involved in the D-Day invasion. And there's going to be 100,000 that are going to be involved in this, <laughs> uh-huh, simula- wow. in this yeah. military simulation wow. uh-huh. in Land Passes. So uh-huh. it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge thing. Uh-huh. It's reminiscent of something that our Austin and San Antonio listeners might remember. This happened fairly recently in 2015 called the Jade Helm Exercise. They did a mock martial law takeover of some small towns in Central Texas. The United States Special Ops put it on as a training exercise. But it only involved about 1,200 soldiers, so much smaller scale than Operation Longhorn. And what I wanted to ask, or what I kind of wanted to talk about was, you know, what does it take for the government to do this, to decide to act against its citizens? What about the psychological impact of, of this ideological conflict that is happening causes the military to take this kind of action? And I also wanted to think about what do the people, how do they react as well to such extreme fear? So part of this, Ben, this military exercise was not only to practice for the military how they would respond in this situation, but they also wanted to see how the actual citizens would Mm -hmm. respond behaviorally Mm -hmm. to something like this occurring. Right. This happened, as Ben said, in in April of 1952. And Drew, in order to put on something of this scale, I mean, I guess there's a lot of work beforehand that has to take place, correct? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a huge operation. I kind of found this, uh, it costed $3.3 million in 1952. That comes out to be $30.3 million today. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of money for kind of in a way a grand communist opera, if you Mm -hmm. want to call this, Mm -hmm. um, is put on. So Operation Longhorn, to get this started, they really had to work closely with town leaders. Um, Town leaders signed off on it. Uh, Residents were informed. Ranchers agreed to allow these troops to operate on their land. Okay. And so one of the big things you got to realize is that, you know, at this time too, they were going to do a, in a way, like a mini type of battle um, they were going to let that kind of happen in the open field. So that's why they had to have this ranch land, probably, again, why they picked an mm-hmm. open area of Lampasas, because they were going to have mm-hmm. all the planes, they were going to drop tanks, they are going to drop vehicles mm-hmm. into this big, giant area. So, so Drew, to be clear for, for everyone listening, they were notified that this was going... It's not like they just like the United States military did a surprise attack yeah. on its own yeah. <laughs> they Everyone knew what was happening, essentially. Yeah. But they wanted people to try to react naturally to it. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, uh, April 3rd, troops marched into the city and started to uh, take over and start the aggressor government. 
Okay, uh, there were newspapers put out uh, that had headlines of the takeover. Uh, there was also broadcast messages on the radio propaganda. They had this uh, this girl come on the radio. Her name was Aggressor Annie, and she sounded like you know American voice, you know, very normal. And she said, "Hey, let's be friends. Everything's going to be fine," you know. And, and so the people were hearing this, and, and most and everybody knew kind of what was going on. But the reaction that they got was was pretty wild. Banks, schools were closed. City officials uh, were arrested. Uh, public property was seized. Uh, even churches were closed down too. Um, they even sent out a list of do's and don'ts that you can't do anymore as a citizen. I mean, nobody likes that, uh, right? You oh, can't yeah. go here. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. Stuff. So they went to great lengths. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, this was you know there was a lot of research being done. Um. One person was eventually put in charge. Okay, so they had like a leader, this magistrate mm-hmm. that was going to take over. And I mean, they're mm-hmm. pretty much they said any type of dissent, you, you were going to get a harsh punishment, even down to death. Um, there was even a one of the main town leaders who tried to resist, and again, he's acting this out. Um, he was carted off. You know, he you know he was speaking out in the town square against these aggressors, and he was arrested. His kids were there though, and his kids they were I mean they were probably four or five. They start crying and yeah. freaking out <laughs> like this is really going on. Even the U.S. government. So these would be maybe the U.S. government trying to save these people in Limpasses. They flew over and they dropped these leaflets uh, that on the leaflets it said "Remember the Alamo." Mm. And remember Goliad to oh. inspire the people to fight back mm-hmm. against their aggressors, and again okay. in a study to see what these people would do, mm-hmm. how they would respond. Yeah. Okay. So they put a curfew in place to where like the people, the townspeople couldn't. They had to be at their house from mm-hmm. six p.m. every night till seven a.m. the morning. In the morning, mm-hmm. they could not leave their house. This went on for several days, mm-hmm. so you can imagine. I mean, even if it's uh, a simulation. Yeah, they, you could probably see that some people may be a little uneasy or make them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And they even conducted interviews of people to vet them if they were with the aggressors or if they were people that were going to rebel against these mm-hmm. aggressors. After however many days, I think it was six days, through April 3rd till the 9th, and then it was, I think, on the 9th that they actually started sending in the United States, quote-unquote, rescue team, the, the mm-hmm. troops to come in to rescue the city. Yep. So uh, paratroopers were dropped. They filled the sky. They were dropped, and um, they were dropping different types of vehicles, uh, jeeps, uh, tanks. And unfortunately, uh, ten men died in this exercise. Jeez. Uh, mostly because the drop conditions were windier than anticipated. And if you've ever been out to that area of Texas, it can it can get quite windy at times. Uh, there was even a F fifty one fire that collided with another and wow. uh, killed one of the pilots. Well, so much for my pledge when this episode started that it wouldn't be a human disaster episode. (laughs) If you can imagine, I mean, think about being the mother of a troop that died in, you know, they show up on your door and say, sorry, your son perished in a fake takeover exercise that the military put on. That would be very hard to accept, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think you said, what did you say, Drew? Ten people. Yeah. It was ten soldiers that perished. Yeah. And... Uh, other things, um, they even had army kind of referees out there. They were the, out there judging to 
see if the things actually, if they were like lifelike, if they were real. Because again, the military's putting this on and they're trying to, like I said, to see, hey, was that actually real the way it happened or were they kind of faking it? So it, the different impressions that it would give to the people. Yeah, the well, links that they went to yep. to orchestrate this. And they were going to do another maneuver. So after kind of things cooled off, uh, the U.S. military again went to the passes and said, hey, we, we'd like to do more of this stuff. But so just, don't, don't mean to interrupt you, but the town was freed, right? Yeah, the town was <laughs> yeah. just, yeah. just making sure. Yeah, the newspapers the next day <laughs> for the people said that the U.S. had come and saved them and everything like uh, that. That's, so. that's great news. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, some of the people, I mean, the ranchers, they didn't want it again because their fields had been destroyed. Um, their fences had been messed up. Cattle were going everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, they came and they said, hey, we'd like to do another one of these. And they, they said, no, thanks. No, you're not yeah, doing no that. Thanks. I mean, well, think about it. When you're landing massive vehicles, like from the air, dropping them out of the air, I mean, it probably destroyed everything. The fields. Oh, and it everything. disrupts their whole operation. Absolutely. These ranches. But I, I do know that the ranchers were very hospitable to the troops. That were, they would feed them, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think that was good. Yeah. And... So one of the big things was, in some interviews, I talked to some people, and they said that the simulation was, in a way, too real. It was scary. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of what was going on at that time period, it freaked people out. Also, for those of you that are interested, there will be a video that you can uh, watch. It's going to be linked in our bio. And you can see this video. It's a propaganda video that shows the event, uh, and it's kind of a summary of it, too. Nice. And so it's basically something that the government, the United States government, put together as a propaganda video simulating the These foreign takeover. Yeah. You'll see them driving around the hill country in their tanks <laughs> okay. and their jeeps and their uh-huh. paratroopers drop, uh, dropping nice. down. So it's it is, pretty cool. You know, Ben, it is, uh, that part of central te- Texas is really nice. Mm-hmm. Lampasas. Yeah, Lampasas is a great little town. It's a great place to visit if you're uh, from Texas, from the area. There's uh, the Hancock Springs out there, which is the oldest spring-fed pool there. Um so it's a, it's a great little town. You should check it out. But I don't blame them, Drew, for not wanting to host another simulation. <laughs> yeah, it was just a lot for the people, and I'm sure it was uh, kind of a ordeal to go through, obviously. Uh, eventually, the U.S. government did do some more of these simulations on U.S. citizens, and they went over to our neighbors in Louisiana. Oh, because land passes declined to do it. They did. They did yeah. in Louisiana instead. And I think that these towns in Amer- like in the United States, they felt it was their patriotic duty mm-hmm. to assist with this stuff, and that's why they, whether it was you know giving up their their fields that they're farming for a week mm-hmm. or their cattle for a week, that it was their patriotic duty then. Yeah, and remember, this is 1952. World War II recently ended, and this is a time of maybe the highest level of patriotism the country had ever felt. So that's an interesting point. And as Drew mentioned, this was one of many different type of events that occurred throughout the country. And there was actually more Cold War related uh, activities going on in Texas as well. One example of that was near Abilene, Texas. Abilene is located really close to an Air Force base called Dias Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. And around the same time frame, late 1950s, early 1960s, the United States government put ballistic missile silos underground around the Air Force Base uh, near Abilene. So there were 12 different sites 
they were basically kind of in a perimeter around this Air Force base. And they they basically dug these chambers that were 100 feet deep. They literally put ballistic missiles in these silos. And I think the missiles themselves were 85 feet tall. And so they had they had the missile in there, but they also had like a command center. And all of these command centers, there are 12 of them, all of them were staffed 24-7 to where at a moment's notice, they could push a button, launch a ballistic missile from Abilene, and hit Moscow within 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. They built multiple sites, I know, across kind of the middle of the United States, the Great Plains, going into Kansas and Nebraska, all the way up to the Dakotas. They had quite a few sites. Mm-hmm. And the name of it was, was called the Atlas Ballist, Ballistic Missile Launch. And the cool thing about it, so it was, it was deactivated in 1965, but today you can still go and see where they were at, and it's done through an outfitter. You can actually scuba dive in the abandoned missile silo, and I'll, 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 I'll tell you how. Okay, so, so this is, like I said, it was dug 100 feet deep. Well... It, everything was lined with concrete, and concrete in its pure form is permeable, so water can seep through it. Mm-hmm. So over time, once you get below the water table, I mean, obviously water gets through. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you get with you get one of these outfitters. He they take you into the silo, and you go down like underground. All right, and you you go scuba diving, and you can dive down to the bottom and go look at. All of this abandoned, just basically debris oh, of wow. what, yeah, of the, like the, the launch pad that was there uh-huh. underground. Wow. wow. I never knew that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That reminds me of uh, Jacob's Well. It, have you heard of Jacob's Well? Yes. We could talk about that some other time, but that's another interesting uh, scuba reference. One of the other events that happened in Texas, fast forward to 1980. Did you know, Drew, that the communist flag actually flew over the Alamo? No, I didn't. That's How does that make you feel, Ben? <laughs> Not good. I didn't know that. Well, in 1980, a man named Damien Garcia, who was a communist operative, he just went up to the top of the Alamo and put the communist flag up, and he had a bullhorn with him. And I'll tell you, what he, this is what he yelled through the bullhorn. He said... We've come to set this record straight about the Alamo. This is a symbol of theft of Mexican land, a symbol about the murder of Mexicans and Indians, and a symbol about the murder of Chicanos and Mexicanos throughout the whole Southwest. And he announced that from the top of the Alamo. Now, he was arrested, and he was convicted of desecration of a venerated object. Mm -hmm. So, Ben, in a previous episode, we talked a little bit about vigilante justice Mm -hmm. with... The, the guy who wasn't convicted of arson of the Dallas fire, but he actually oh, probably right. didn't. Yeah. Justice was served yes. at a later date. So Damien Garcia, a month later, was stabbed to death in Los Angeles. <laughs> okay. Now, they don't, know, they don't know for sure how it happened or if it was even related to the fact that he flew the flag over the Alamo. Mm-hmm. But there was, I mean, there's a lot of circumstances around it. It could have been just a random, I don't know about a random stabbing, but it could have been like he was involved with the wrong people out there. But long story short, the, the Communist Party of America regards him as basically a martyr, uh-huh. as a hero. Uh-huh. And see, that's one of the problems. Like, researching this, I'm afraid that, like, the government's going to be tracking me now because right. I had to go on, yeah. like, communist, yeah. I had to go on, like, these communist websites. Think about how many times he 
typed in communism in Google. Uh-huh. My IP address is probably all over their uh-huh. radar now. But uh, anyway, so he was stabbed to death uh, literally a month after that happened. How long was he up there on the, the Alamo? Uh, I think it was a matter of minutes. Okay. I hope. Uh, hopefully not very long. Yeah. Another interesting event that happened in 1989, and some of you may have heard about this one. Boris Yeltsin was visiting the United States, and he was leaving, when he was leaving from his visit, he was leaving out of Ellington Field, which is, for those of you who don't know, it's basically the military... Uh, airport outside of Houston, just south of Houston. And before he left, uh, he wanted to go buy a grocery store, a local grocery store, just Mm -hmm. to see what it was like. So there was a Randall's that wasn't far uh, from the airport, and the the poor manager of the Randall's only got 15 minutes notice that the president of Russia at the time, (laughs) Boris Yeltsin, was going to come visit his Randall's. And he went to the Randall's, and he was absolutely blown away just from looking at just the selection of, you know, the meats in the freezer, you know, the different produce, all the different options when it came to bread and cereal and stuff like that, because, you know, it was such a departure from what they were used to in Russia. And he went, it was, he went, like, basically a lot of people said that he saw NASA when he was here, he saw the Statue of Liberty, but the thing that made the most profound impact on Boris Yeltsin during that visit was his stop at the Houston area Randall's grocery store. This is 1989. I mean, this is 40 plus years after the onset of the Cold War. Absolutely. Uh So, I guess Ben, you could say that it's an example of the fruits of capitalism, Uh you know, changing the world. Literally the fruits of capitalism. (laughs) What we want to try to extrapolate now is is what what did that mean? And, And Ben... Especially the event in Lampasas, where they conducted the simulation. We, they spent all this money. They had 10 troops die. What did we get out of this? I mean, mm-hmm. what did it teach us, and what value did it bring to the United States? And what does it say about the society during the quote-unquote Red Scare? Right. It's, it's a fascinating question. It makes me wonder about the ideology the, the conflict of ideology is strong enough to influence the American military to act in such a way. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, what we've talked about so far is look about at how much money they put into this operation, what kind of manpower they put into it, what kind of effect it had on the American people, a small population of central Texans yeah yeah yeah. Um, it is a question of ideology that will that will make our our military act right Um, and as far as the behavior of the citizens mm -hmm. what did they learn from that that's the second part is what did the the citizens have to endure right we talked about the the curfew being instilled on them right they talked uh, we, one of the things that they ha- also had to endure was the um, private vehicles. The, the, the vehicles of the citizens were commandeered—not commandeered, but but taken, right? So, and it was—it's it, this small inconvenience that was incrementally imposed on the the citizens that 
they studied and so, and and observed how far will the American people allow the military to go or the government right and I think broadly that, yeah and I think one of the things is the military and the government was very interested to see how would the people react would they react negatively which a lot of people in Lempasas did or would they go along with it and like it and enjoy it because mm-hmm. that was the big question of the mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. in the early 1950s was would people go along with communism? Because people mm-hmm. were doing it in Russia, people were doing it in mm-hmm. China, and it was growing from there. Mm-hmm. So with, there was this great fear that if it shows up in the, here, here in the United States, would people side with it? Mm-hmm. And it's especially interesting to enact that on a place like Texas. What we've spoken about before is the independent reputation, the reputation of independence that the, the Texans have. Um, and to look at how they reacted is is very interesting. Yeah, and they wanted to see to your the point you brought up at the beginning, Ben. This is an ideological battle, and they needed to see how the people reacted so they could know whether or not they were winning the ideological mm-hmm. battle, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And so, and we and this has come up several times. We the great links that mm-hmm. we're gone that we went through is an indicator of the mood of the country at the time and how paranoid, if you want to call it, everyone was mm-hmm. about this. So I think it's it's great to look. It's kind of a different way to look at Texas because I think when people think of Texas history, this isn't really something that comes up mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think it was just a cool, different way to look at things. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do is we're going to post pictures of uh, the quote-unquote invasion of Lampasas on our Instagram page at Texas Time Capsule. Uh, we've also got some pictures of the uh, ballistic missile silos, which are really cool to look at. Mm-hmm. So and um, Boris Yeltsin. Well, at yeah, that's a good. Oh, yeah, we got to get Boris story. Yeltsin at Randall's. Yeah, that's, that's my favorite picture. Yeah. Huh? We'll definitely post that as well. Any other thoughts, guys, to close out episode four? I think I'm going to pour myself a Stolishnaya vodka. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> close it out. Well, Drew, in like <laughs> vodka became more popular after. World War Two, right? Yeah, they went over there and, you know, the the troops were, you know, finding it. And I'm sure when they showed up into places in Europe and tried it out and eventually became pretty popular. And So there you go. We've got distilleries all over the place now here uh, in the United States that distill Russian vodka. Well, that's right. And so next time you take your drink, your vodka drink at mm-hmm. the bar, just maybe take a second and think about, right. you know, the Lampasas, the day that the communists took over a town in central Texas. Remember Lampasas. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Thanks a lot for listening, comrades. And join us again next time when we open up another Texas Time Capsule.